Chapter Eight of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eight, Daisy's honeymoon diary. How strange life is! The change that has come in my life came so suddenly that I fancied I should never be accustomed to the new state of things. Yet after a little more than a month, I feel as if Uncle Ambrose had lived with us for years, and as if I had always been one of a united family of four instead of the other half of my mother's soul. In my thoughts of her, I have always called her what Horace called Virgil, Animea Dimidium Mea. Have I lost her now that she is Ambrose Arden's wife, or rather, how much of her love and her sweet companionship have I lost? Naturally, there is a loss i cannot be to her quite what i was before she gave herself to a husband who worships her who seems jealous of every thought and every moment she gives to any one but himself we can no longer live like hermia and helena before puck set them by the ears we are no longer more like sisters than mother and daughter as people used to say we were in the old days which begin to look so far away no it must be owned there is a loss and a loss that i shall feel all my life but it is not so great a loss as to make me unhappy for i know my mother loves me as truly and fondly as ever and that she would not part with me for anything in the world i know that uncle ambrose thoroughly deserves her love and that he is doing his utmost to win it i know that to me he is a good and true friend and that i am never tired of his society i know that the atmosphere of love in which i have lived all my life has lost none of its warmth and brightness i know i am a girl in a thousand for good fortune and that i ought to be very grateful to providence for all my blessings as i have failed in my attempts to write a novel i mean to make this journal the book of my life and to put all of my thoughts and all my fancies into it i shall describe things as vividly as ever i can so that when i am an old woman i can look back upon the history of my life and find my youth still fresh and bright in these pages let me record the great event which has made so marked a change in my mother's life her second marriage it is a very curious sensation for a girl to stand by and see her mother married it seemed to me always as if time had gone backwards and mother were a girl again standing on the threshold of life uncle ambrose was a most devoted lover and would hardly let my mother out of his sight during their very short courtship when mother accepted him i knew that a short engagement was very far from her thoughts gratitude prevailed with her and rather than lose so valued a friend she consented to take him as a husband but when she gave that consent last july she certainly had no idea of marrying him early in september however those serious and placid people are much more persistent than impetuous characters like my beloved father for instance and uncle ambrose contrived to talk my dear mother into an almost immediate marriage of course there was not the least reason why they should delay their wedding for as both are rich there could be no question of ways and means and as neither of them is young it might seem a pity to lose time nor is mother the kind of person to waste six months upon the preparation of a trousseau she is always charmingly dressed though it is only within the last year or two that she has consented to wear anything but black and her wardrobe is full of beautiful things so it would be idle vanity to wait for a heap of new clothes to be made and during that delay to lose the beauty of the autumn for her honeymoon tour it was decided at the very first discussion of the honeymoon that i was to travel with them after the first week which they were to spend very quietly together at folkestone just to get used to the idea of being all in all to each other 
a great many places were proposed and discussed and finally it was settled that we should spend the autumn in switzerland and go on to italy in the beginning of the winter where do you think we are going to spend the winter dear diary in what particular city among all the cities of the world is our home to be it is like a dream i turn giddy at the very thought of it we are to winter in venice we are to live within a stone's throw of the doge's palace and the lion's mouth i am to see the bridge of size so often going backwards and forwards in my gondola that i shall get to think no more of it than i do of lamford leek yes it is enough to turn any girl giddy i want to preserve all the details of that wonderful day my mother's wedding day it was a perfect morning as lovely a day as there has been all through the summer which ought to have been over but which was just then in its prime for that first week of september was hotter and brighter than july the dear old church and the graveyard where father lies and the village and the river were basking in a faint haze of heat which hung over all things like a bridal veil mother and i drove to church together she very pale and with a distressed look about her beautiful mouth which made me feel sorry that i had not begged and prayed her not to marry again for i felt that her heart was with her first love lying in his grave under the willow and not with the man who was so soon to be called her husband she looked lovely in spite of her marble whiteness lovely but not like a bride her soft fawn-coloured silk gown harmonised with her rich brown hair and became her admirably so did the little fawn-coloured bonnet with a bunch of cornflowers she was dressed for the journey to folkestone where they were to arrive in time for dinner there were no wedding guests except aunt emily and her husband my cousins the reardon girls the rector and his wife and good old mr melladew my father's lawyer i carried mother's sunshade and i was told to hold her gloves while she was being married everything had been kept so quiet thanks to the rector that very few people in the neighbourhood knew that mother and mr arden were going to be married and only about half a dozen knew that this was their wedding day so the church was almost empty there were no school-children to strew flowers there was nothing in their pathway as they left the church but the sunshine and the shadows of the old yew branches that lay darkly across the path i think i like that utter simplicity better than what people call a picturesque wedding there was just one thing out of the common in the whole ceremony we have a fine old organ at lamford an organ built in the reign of george the second but we have a very poor organist great therefore was my amazement to hear a gloria of mozart's played by a master hand as we walked up the nave and when mother and her new husband came out of the vestry arm in arm the same master hand attacked the opening chorus of mendelssohn's wedding march with a power which must have startled and thrilled everybody in the church as it startled and thrilled me whoever that was it wasn't mr parkins i said to cyril as he handed me into the second carriage mr and mrs arden oh how strange it seems to write it having gone away in the first it was not mr parkins it was mr daventry the organist of new an old friend of my father's what brought him to lamford friendship my father asked him to give us a touch of his quality upon this particular day he knows your mother is fanatica per la musica and he wanted to please her i call that a very delicate attention said i delighted do you child exclaimed cyril in a scornful way perhaps you don't know that if it would please your mother for him to cut his heart out he would pay her that delicate attention just as willingly as this you are not jealous are you cyril we had the carriage to ourselves by an accident 
beatrice was to have gone with us but had arrived at the church in a state of bewilderment and had gotten into the landau with aunt emily mrs reardon and my cousin flora who grumbled all the rest of the day at having her frock crushed by overcrowding jealous exclaimed cyril no i am not jealous and i admire my new mother how ready he was with that sacred name almost as much as my father does but i can't help pitying any man as deep in love as my father it is a spectacle of human weakness which being human one must pity and deplore lest the same thing should happen to oneself i hope they will both be happy said i i adore my mother and i love uncle ambrose but i would rather have gone on caring for him in the old quiet way and have kept my mother all to myself egotistical puss said cyril do you know daisy that you have the egotistical nose not a bad nose in its way but speaking volumes for the character of the nose a pert nose straight and delicate in line but with just that upward tilt which means vanity and self-consciousness i suppose now you are a kind of brother you are going to be rude to me said i decidedly i mean to take every fraternal privilege answered he and then without a word of warning he kissed me i was desperately angry that is a fraternal privilege which you will please to forego in the future i said i adopted your father for my uncle when you were a small schoolboy but i never adopted you and in our enlightened age no one supposes that you are any more my brother because your father has married my mother than you were yesterday when they were only engaged but just now you said i was your brother what an inconsistent girl you are i said a kind of brother not the real thing very well daisy i hope you may never want to put me upon the fraternal level i assure you that i don't desire it this was so rude on his part that i lost my temper altogether you are a smug i said i trembled when i uttered that awful word expecting that he would want to annihilate me but he only laughed which was worse i am getting behind the scenes he said and my first discovery is a vixen in the family we were at home by this time and went in to luncheon it was not a very gay feast though uncle ambrose looked intensely happy i had been surprised by his appearance as he stood beside my mother at the altar he had been gradually changing for the better in his looks and bearing ever since he was engaged but on his wedding day the transformation seemed to have completed itself he who used to stoop now carried himself with an erect and noble air his clear blue eyes seemed to have more colour in them and oh there was such a look of happiness in every line of his face then as for his clothes he who used to wear a coat that was almost disgracefully shabby was now dressed to perfection in a style that was neither too young nor too old i really felt proud of uncle ambrose as i watched him leave the church with my mother on his arm and later when we were all clustered at the gate to see them start for their honeymoon and then as he bade me good-bye i could but think of that other parting seven years ago the parting which meant forever the carriage drove away with one of my shoes flying after it thrown by cyril who has a great reputation for throwing the hammer and who threw my poor little bronze slipper so as to lodge it between the carriage and the lamp like a decoration i had to hop back to the hall which seemed so ridiculous that while i was ready to cry at parting with my mother the absurdity of the thing made me laugh instead and then three minutes afterwards the laughter and tears got mixed and i was sobbing hysterically on cyril's shoulder aunt emily took me away from him and scolded me for being so foolish as to make such a fuss about such a brief parting 
you will see your mother again in a week you silly child she said one would think she was going to australia why my girls and i are sometimes parted for six or eight weeks at a time but they are used to it i answered as indeed they are poor things and have been from their infancy it's different with mother and me we have never lived apart i ran upstairs as soon as i could slip away from the family party and had a comfortable cry in my own room while flora and dora played tennis with cyril and beatrice they were all very noisy so i suppose they were enjoying themselves even though i was so miserable i couldn't help noticing the difference between beatrice's country noise and flo and do's london noise my cousins are what people call stylish girls and have a dashing off-hand way of talking and doing everything beatrice on the other hand has a kind of lumbering vivacity which i hope it is not ill-natured to compare with a brewer's horse in high spirits aunt emily and the cousins were installed at river lawn for a week and at the end of that week aunt was to take me to folkestone to join mother and her new husband and from folkestone we were to start for switzerland oh how i counted the hours in that week and how it seemed to me as if those seven days and nights would never come to an end how i sickened of tennis and boating and of all the things which amused my cousins how i sickened even of cyril who used to come across the cottage at all hours and who devoted himself to flora and dora and was very kind in asking me to join in their boating excursions up or down the river they used to start soon after breakfast with a well-filled picnic basket and land at any spot they fancied and eat their lunch in some picturesque corner and they came home to afternoon tea sunburnt to a degree that horrified aunt emily are you aware that your complexions will never recover from such treatment as this she asked them solemnly cyril was to start for his travels on the day i set out upon mine he was going to the norwegian fjords to fish for salmon i cannot understand the rage some people have for chilly half-civilized countries where there are all the glories and grandeur of the south waiting to be looked at imagine anybody preferring norway to venice cyril does venice is so triste he said and then he promised me that if i were a very good little girl and sent him a nice long gossiping letter every week he would join us at venice for a week or so just to see if i were dying of too much paul veronese you will be dosed with that fellow and his school he said made to look up at ceilings till your eyes and your neck ache if people would only let one alone in foreign cities travelling would not be half such a trial as it is but there is always the intelligent companion bent upon improving one's mind cyril had grown blasé from having been allowed to go wherever he chose he has seen all that is best worth seeing in europe and a sunny corner of africa into the bargain he has travelled all through greece and thinks no more of marathon than i do of maidenhead i sometimes think it has been a disadvantage for him to have so much money and that he would be ever so much nicer if uncle ambrose had never come into his fortune he is kind and generous and high-spirited but he values himself just a little too much and he seems to think the world is hardly good enough for him to live in mother was at the station to meet me when the train went slowly over the housetops into folkestone how young and handsome she looked in her dark brown tailor gown and neat brown hat and what a moment of bliss it was for me when she clasped my hands and gave me one discreet little kiss are you happy mother and are you still fond of me i asked in a breath yes to both foolish questions see daisy have you not a word for she stopped embarrassed looking at her husband who came up at this moment after having sent off his servant to help my maid with the baggage 
yes i have plenty of words for uncle ambrose i said giving him both my hands gracious what a grand person you have grown and ever so many years younger i think you must have concocted one of those wonderful philters that i have read about in horace yes daisy i have drunk of a philter but not one of those nasty mixtures which wicked witches brew my philter has been happiness i really have suspect you are a second dr faustus and that you have made a bargain with the fiend said i if i had daisy i don't think my consciousness of the compact would prevent my being happy he answered smiling at me we went straight from the station to the boat only a few yards and then we sailed across a summery sea and then came a long hot journey for though we had left cool weather in england there was a sultry atmosphere on the other side of the channel we were in paris in time for an eight o'clock dinner and i sat between mother and uncle ambrose in one of the prettiest private sitting-rooms in the continental hotel with open windows facing the big lamp-lit square and the fountains and statues and the champs-elysees in a glittering haze of summer mist mixed with lamplight and over all the great purple sky flashing with stars so brilliant and so large that they seemed hanging just above our heads they both seemed glad to have me with them they both seemed fond of me after dinner uncle ambrose took me for a walk and showed me paris by lamplight while mother sat and rested and read the last new book which he had bought for her at the station there never was a happier girl than i was that balmy september night hanging on to uncle ambrose's arm and devouring paris with my eyes we walked as far as notre dame and stood in the quiet open space looking up at the great dusky towers so grand so old so rich in saintly and historical images he told me all about the building of that mighty cathedral and how it had slowly risen from its foundations and grown and ripened into beauty like a great oak in the heart of the forest almost as gradually almost as quietly and then we looked at the river and then we walked slowly back to the hotel i felt so happy when i went in but one look at my mother's face as she sat staring straight before her in the lamplight dashed all my happiness clara cried uncle ambrose what is the matter she pointed to the novel she had been reading which lay open on the table how could you choose such a book as that for me she asked reproachfully i chose the book because it has made a great success in paris see ninety-ninth thousand isn't that a guarantee that the story is worth reading it is a revolting story the story of a murder in a low lodging-house in the cite a murder that was never avenged don't you like murder stories i asked i enjoy a murder if it is a really good one a mysterious murder which keeps the reader wondering all through the book never talk in that strain daisy unless you want to disgust me answered mother more sternly than i ever remembered her to have spoken to me in her life do you think a crime which desolates a home and wrecks a life or many lives is a thing to be talked of in that spirit oh but poets and dramatists would be poor creatures unless they were able to describe great criminals look at macbeth for instance some critics call macbeth the finest of all shakespeare's plays and i really think it is my first favourite among them all stop daisy said uncle ambrose with his hand upon my shoulder don't you see that your mother is tired and nervous it is past eleven and we are to do a great deal of sight-seeing to-morrow you had better bid us good-night i kissed the poor pale face which had changed so sadly since dinner-time and went off to my room where my maid was waiting for me 
i had shared mother's maid until now but now i have the undivided service of my good nurse broomfield a buxom person of eight-and-thirty who has been gradually educating herself into a lady's maid and who has nothing to do except look after my wardrobe and brush my hair and walk out with me sometimes when i cannot have mother's company my head was a little troubled as i laid it on my strange pillow troubled about my mother's trouble which seemed more than the occasion accounted for if i had known then what i know now i should have understood that look of horror in her eyes as she lifted them to her husband's face while she pointed to the open book oh what a blessing it was not to know and how i wish providence had suffered me to remain in happy ignorance as my mother wished but there are always officious people in the world to take things out of the hands of providence or at least it seems so we had been nearly a month in switzerland moving quietly from place to place and thoroughly enjoying the beauty of everything all the more because of uncle ambrose who was like a walking encyclopedia telling me all i wanted to know about everything and everybody talking most delightfully about voltaire rousseau gibbon and all the lake leman poets and philosophers and quoting whole pages of tyndall on the alps and glaciers my mother had no more nervous fits after that night in paris she seemed thoroughly happy and pleased with my enjoyment of everything sometimes a shade of melancholy would creep over her at the thought of years ago when she had been in these places with my father and there were days when she had a listless air as if she were weary of life in spite of the love that watched her footsteps and wrapped her round like an atmosphere i wonder if all husbands are like uncle ambrose there is an intensity in his devotion to my mother which shows itself in every act of his daily life and yet his affection is never intrusive it never touches the ridiculous i think very few people at the hotels where we stopped guessed that they were a honeymoon couple mother is silent and reserved amongst strangers and uncle ambrose has always the thoughtful air of a student at the national at geneva there were some oxford men who were very much impressed when they found out who he was i heard them talking about his books one evening in the reading-room when i was looking through the tahunet's novels i felt quite proud to think that the man they were praising was the man who had stooped from his high estate to educate me i wonder whether it was for mother's sake whether he worshipped her from the very beginning even in my dear father's lifetime with the same worship that he has for her now a hopeless distant love in those days without expectation or thought of reward i can but think that it may have been so that no lesser feeling would have induced so learned a man to devote himself to the training of an ignorant little girl it was at lucerne that the secret of my father's death was revealed to me it happened only the day before yesterday and yet i feel as if it was ages ago i was so occupied with the novelty and delight of this beautiful country until then that i had not found time to open my diary after i left england but now i come to the book for relief from my pent-up agony i have not had one happy moment since that revelation and yet i have been obliged to appear as happy as ever for fear my mother should find out what i am brooding upon and be reminded of the one great sorrow of her life oh what a sorrow it must have been what an awful haunting memory it is wonderful to me that she could ever smile again or take any pleasure of life or think of anything except that one dreadful fact i know now how my father died why he was snatched away from us without an hour's warning i know that he was cruelly murdered by an unknown hand and that his murderer is walking about the earth at this day undiscovered and unpunished unless god's vengeance has fallen upon the wretch in some mysterious way that we know not we were at the schweitzerhof at lucerne 
the weather was lovely and we had spent the day on the lake and in the evening after dinner we all went out to the portico in front of the hotel there were some tyrolese musicians playing under the trees by the lake and i thought of that curious story of tolstoy's of the poor wandering musician and the cruel people at the schweitzerhof who listened and applauded but never gave him a sou and then the poor creature went strolling about the town where the teller of the story followed him to take him back to the schweitzerhof and treat him to champagne much to the indignation of the company in the coffee-room i reminded uncle ambrose of tolstoy's story which we had read together we were sitting in the deep shadow of the portico looking out at the moonlit quay and listening to the tyrolese musicians one of them playing upon the streisdither while the other sang presently uncle ambrose and my mother went for a turn on the quay leaving me sitting in my dark corner at the back of the colonnade they asked me to go with them but i had walked and run about a good deal in the afternoon at altdorf and fluellen and i told mother i was tired and would rather stay where i was i was sitting in a dark corner enjoying the music and unobserved by anybody there were two rows of people in front of me do you know who she is asked a man sitting very near me as my mother moved slowly away on her husband's arm her name is arden a very attractive woman is she not returned his companion decidedly handsome but don't you know who she is i only know that the man she is walking with is her husband and that their name is arden i saw it in the visitor's book this morning didn't you notice another name bracketed with it i did what name miss hatrell the lady's daughter she is travelling with her mother and her stepfather mr and mrs arden have only been married a month i saw the marriage in the times but what about miss hatrell do you mean to say the name has no association in your mind not the slightest i never knew any hatrell so far as i can remember perhaps not but i don't think you can have forgotten the mysterious murder in denmark street st giles which everybody talked about six or seven years ago the man murdered was a country gentleman who had gone up to london to cash a big cheque in order to pay for an estate he was buying he cashed the cheque in pall mall but he never reached lincoln's inn fields with the money he was intercepted on his way and lured to a lodging-house in denmark street where he was found next day stabbed and plundered by an unknown hand it was one of those murders which baffle all the endeavours of the police and bring discredit upon the force yes i have a faint recollection of the affair the denmark street mystery i think they called it i had utterly forgotten the man's name do you say that this miss hatrell is a relation of the murdered man only his daughter mrs arden was his widow until a month ago when she married the man who is walking with her over there in the moonlight i have some friends at henley who talk about her she has a place on the banks of the thames where she has lived in retirement since her husband's murder was it never known who murdered him never the motive was plunder of course the murderer got clean off with his booty in the form of bank of england notes which were cashed in the south of france before the bankers in that part of the world had heard of the crime the murderer got a start of eighteen hours or so before the crime was discovered just margin enough to allow of his turning the notes into hard cash were there any arrests made or was anybody suspected oh as far as that goes there is no doubt that the man who committed the murder was a foreigner who took a room in the denmark street lodging-house for the express purpose of murder he lured his victim there by the use of a woman's name the name of some french woman of whom hatrell had once been fond 
he did the deed unaided in the broad light of day and then he locked the door of his room and went downstairs and out of the house as coolly as if he had gone home to fetch some implement of his trade and were only going back to his workshop this i believe is the last that was ever seen of him no doubt he is knocking about europe somewhere answered the other man who knows he may be here to-night the schweitzerhof would be a capital resort for a man who was wanted by the police the very publicity of the hotel would be his safeguard i sat there cold and trembling while they talked oh with such callous indifference as if it mattered nothing that an adored husband and father should be lured away to some horrid den and cruelly murdered and then the dear face came back to me in all its brightness the happy smile the candid grey eyes the loved voice sounded again in my ears just as if my father had that instant called to me from the garden oh how could my mother get over such a blow as that the wonder was not that she had grieved dreadfully but that she had ever ceased to grieve and nothing had been done his death was unavenged his murderer was walking about the world unpunished yes as that man said he might be in lucerne to-night i did not cry out or faint or do anything to create a disturbance for a minute or so there was a rushing in my ears and the pillars of the portico seemed to rock and then my head grew cool and clear again but i felt that i could not go on sitting quietly there and i started up and asked one of the men who had talked about my father to make way for me and i broke through the double range of sitters somehow and ran down the steps and away towards the cathedral and then up the hill at the back of the hotel i wanted to get away from the crowd from my mother and uncle ambrose from every one and everything just to be alone with my thoughts of my dear dead father the narrow path up which i went to the top of the hill was quite deserted at this time i stood on the hilltop alone looking down at the lighted city so picturesque in its stillness the quaint old roofs and gables and market squares and narrow streets which it had been such a delight to explore with uncle ambrose only yesterday but which i looked at now with dull unseeing eyes pilatus lifted his snow-crowned head above the further shore of the lake and over all there was the clear light of the moon clear yet soft leaving great gaps of densest shadow black depths where the lamps twinkled here and there singly or in clusters of warm red light which seemed a relief after the coldness of the moon and stars i had noticed all these things the night before when i stood in the same spot with uncle ambrose i noticed them mechanically to-night while my heart beat loud and fast with a passionate longing to do something weak inexperienced girl as i was that should slowly laboriously surely lead to the punishment of my father's murderer how is it i asked myself that one murderer escapes and that another who seems to leave but the slightest indications to lead to discovery is arrested within a week of his crime what is it that makes the chances of criminals so uneven and how is it that the police who in some cases seem to exercise a superhuman intelligence seem in other cases helpless and blundering almost to the verge of idiocy i had heard this question discussed within the last few weeks in relation to a mysterious murder in liverpool and i had taken an intense interest in the subject a morbid interest uncle ambrose told me when i talked to him about it he reproved me for occupying my mind with a ghastly story i reminded him that the story of this murder was no more ghastly than the story of agamemnon's murder or of the string of murders in macbeth and that one might as well be interested in real horrors as in fiction 
little did i think then that there would come a day when i should have a stronger reason for brooding upon this ghastly subject i stayed on the hill a long time forgetting everything except the horror that had been made known to me that night forgetting most of all that my absence would alarm my mother i was startled at last by the cathedral clock which began to strike the hour i counted the strokes and found that it was eleven o'clock i had been away from the hotel more than an hour i hurried back and on the way met uncle ambrose who scolded me for going out alone at such a late hour your mother has been anxious and agitated about you daisy he said how came so wise a person to do such a foolish thing i don't know i forgot i said where have you been all this time on the hill up there looking down at the town my dear daisy how could you forget that your mother would be alarmed at your disappearance i forgot everything and then i told him what i had heard an hour ago in the portico i asked him why the cruel truth had been kept from me during all those years i looked at his face in the moonlight and saw more trouble there than i had ever seen in my life before it would have been cruel to tell you the truth daisy the greatest curse of life is the existence of idle chatterers who must always be babbling about other people's business if wishes could bear fruit it would be bad for those men you overheard to-night i had never heard such anger in his voice as i heard then god only knows the pains your mother and i have taken to keep this sorrow from you he said we have pledged all who knew you and were about you to silence we have hedged you round with precautions and yet in one unlucky minute the prurient gossip of a wonder-monger frustrates all our care i am glad i know i answered do you think i wanted to live in a fool's paradise to believe that my father died peacefully in the arms of a friend when he was brutally murdered you don't know how i loved him or you would know better than that i was angry in my turn and now tears came the first which i had shed since i heard the story of my father's death tears of mingled anger and grief i seized uncle ambrose by the arm i was almost beside myself you were his friend i said his closest friend almost like a brother did you do nothing to avenge his death nothing nothing i did all that mortal man could do daisy i stimulated the police to action by every means in my power i did not rest till all that could be done had been done it was in concert with me that your mother offered a reward large enough to set all scotland yard on the alert if the murderer escaped be assured it was not because his pursuers were careless or indifferent had he been a prince of the blood royal the endeavour to solve the mystery of his death could not have been more intense than it was what idiots the detective police must be i exclaimed no they are not idiots daisy though it is the fashion to call them so whenever a notorious criminal evades pursuit there are some uncommonly clever men among them and there are some uncommonly clever captures and discoveries made by them but now and then they have to deal with a criminal who is both clever and lucky and that was the case with the wretch who murdered your father tell me all about his death every detail i said what good will it do for you to know daisy he asked in his pleading voice just as he used to talk to me years ago when i was a child and inclined to be naughty for god's sake my dear girl try to forget all you heard to-night think of your father only as you have thought of him hitherto as one who was taken from you in the flower of his years and who sleeps quietly in his grave honoured loved and lamented 
the manner of his death makes little difference it was swift and sudden a merciful death without death-bed horrors or prolonged pain it must have been an almost instantaneous death you know all about it and i want to know too i answered if you won't tell me i shall find out the truth for myself i know the date of my father's death and i have only to get the newspapers for the following days and i shall learn all that can be learnt about his murderer and the circumstances of his death you are obstinate and foolish daisy he said it would be far wiser to blot the horror of the past out of your mind for ever your father's sleep is just as sweet as if he had perished by the slow and painful decay which darkens the end of life when men live to what is called the good old age a good old age as if age and decay could ever be good i wonder at your want of philosophy i thought i had trained my pupil better and that whenever you should come to know the worst your own calm reason would show you that death by assassination is no more dreadful than any other form of death it is more dreadful infinitely more dreadful for it robbed me of my beloved father he would be with us now he might be with us for long years to come but for the wretch who killed him it is easy for you to preach resignation for you have been the gainer by his death i was too angry to think of the cruelty of my words or of my base ingratitude towards the truest friend i have in the world after my mother i could think of nothing but my father's hard fate and my own bitter loss that will do daisy said uncle ambrose in a voice that sounded like a stranger's so long as you and i live you can never say anything more cruel than that or more ungrateful i cried throwing myself into his arms i am a wretch a thankless wretch he soothed and comforted me assuring me of his forgiveness he could make every allowance for a heart so tried as mine yes it was a hard thing to have lost so dear a father so good a man for god's sake don't think i failed in regard for your father he said although our ideas of life were so different he all action and vivacity i dreamy and self-contained he was the best friend i ever had the man i liked best in the world yes i have gained by his untimely death gained a pearl beyond price the one dream and desire of my life i can never palter with facts there daisy you and i must understand each other and believe in each other if i am to stand in a parent's place for my dear pupil and friend there shall be no sophistication on my part i have told you why your mother and i have laboured to keep the manner of your father's death hidden from you but now you have discovered so much i will not stand in the way of your knowing all since it is your wish it is my wish my most ardent wish very well when we go back to england i will give you the report of the inquest which will tell you every detail i will give you a collection of leading articles which will show you how easy it is to speculate and conjecture and theorize about a crime and how very difficult it may be to find the criminal i have all these papers for you to read and you shall be allowed to read them but under protest i know that it is not well for you to brood upon that sad event i shall brood less perhaps when i know more i told him and then he implored me to say nothing to my mother about this dreadful past which had tried her so terribly god knows what would happen if her sorrow were to be brought too vividly back to her by any display of emotion upon your part he said she must never be allowed to talk about that dreadful time her life and her reason were both in danger child as you were you must have seen what a wreck she was when you went home from westgate 
you must have known how slow she was to recover health and spirits i promised him that come what might i would never afflict my mother by any allusion to my father's death and then once more i pleaded for pardon for my foolish and thankless speech my child how can i be angry with you he said in his grave and gentle voice the voice i have loved from my babyhood almost what could be more natural than that you should love your father and regret him passionately and fondly only tell me dear honestly are you sorry that your mother has made my life happy are you sorry that she has allowed me to stand in the place of the father you have lost i told him no a thousand times no next to my father and mother he was the person i loved best upon this earth and i was very glad to have him bound to me for all my life as my guardian and friend there shall be no one ever nearer or dearer to me i told him but you must be uncle ambrose to the end i cannot call you father End of chapter 8